Jackson Media Production Presents Heavenly Bodies by F.J. Freeman Read by the author Episode 2 Chapter 2 Act 4 Act 0 Part 4 Not His Fault Vry She woke up from a nightmare. Tears ran down her face. Her heart ached and she felt a weird feeling, something she couldn't describe. A feeling that she could only feel in the air, an invisible feeling, an invisible wary, a feeling that she could a feeling that she could cut with a knife, a sort of uneasiness that you only feel when you know something is wrong but can't confirm it. A feeling that the people a feeling that people would call you crazy for even muttering out loud. She's a young woman in her late twenties pregnant with a child. Carefully, she stood up and brought her feet to the ground. She swiped tears from her eyes and pressed her intuition down, casting it away as a feeling and nothing more. She lived in a one-room, run-down place. Chickens were entering her small shed, already asking for their morning feed. The only window above her bed shined through with the light, casting a shadow on a dust casting a shadow on the dust particles rising from the floor. She stood up and walked across the bale that placed the darkness inside her house. She stood up and walked across the bale that placed the darkness inside her house from the outside light. In her small in her small in her small patio she had chickens that bear eggs. She fed them seeds she hold she held in her pouch and on her belt. She opened the pouch and took a, and took a handful, then scattered it across the field. The chickens had a small coop where they would call home. She bent down with a little bit of strain and managed to find two eggs that she took for herself. The chickens not bothered. A dog, an impure breed, liked to hang out outside of her house. Sometimes mix, something mixed with a wolf casted out from his own pack, now seeking refugees with this woman. She lived alone, but that was, but that was going to change. She just needed to be patient. Her neighbors loved her. She was of pure heart. The animals would attest to that. She went into her shed and started mixing random ingredients. Seeds, water, bones, and meat scrap all into one bowl. The wolf came into the house, asking for the food that was being prepared for him, jumping softly on his paws. Umbra, sit, said the woman. Umbra barked once and did as she... and did as and did as he was told. His fur was dirty from the desert sand, but she gave the wolf's bath once in a while. But she gave the wolf a bath once in a while. Umbra, paw, and Umbra held up its right paw, play dead, and the animal pretended to be dead. It was well trained. Finally, she finished preparing the scrap of food for the dog and placed it on the ground in a bowl. The wolf started to dig in. After she used the eggs to prepare breakfast for herself, she lit a fire. Her belly responded with a glow. The little one inside was sure to be a fire elementi. This happened a lot. 
Oh, easy there, she said to herself. When she was done, she boarded up her walls and started heading down her street. The dog sat by the entrance, as if to say, I'll take care of the house while you're gone. Melissa, a young pregnant woman, her hair brunette gold, her skin lightly sun-tanned, her eyes coral brown. It didn't take long before she reached the market. Suddenly, the streets went from quiet to being flooded with people. It was a busy morning. Still, Melissa knew perfectly how to move within the crowd. It was busy, but not busy enough. As she moved through the sea of people, something some started to notice and begged their pardon as she tried to squeeze through, mostly everyone minding their own business. To those that did, to those that did move, Melissa rewarded them with a smile. Melissa wore several drags that covered her entire body. None of them made sense from a fashion standpoint, but they were certainly there. This was the only thing that she had to cover herself up with. She didn't have enough money to buy regular clothes sets. Everything, everyone knew that they could buy high-priced expensive clothes as at the market of the castle. This market was closer to the boonies. So clothing sets were usually less expensive, mostly cheaply, mostly cheaply made. Melissa could go and try to kill monsters like slimes and small animals. She could later sell the carcasses for pieces of gold, but she couldn't even afford a sword, let alone armor for that matter, and even less in her current state. She needed to protect her child and herself away from danger. It was all an endless cycle that she couldn't break free from. She had fallen in love with Royal, but it had come in a way that she hadn't expect. She had met she had met him by accident while he was wearing a costume not for a royal. She didn't know, for the king had met a genie and asked the genie to make him as a common as they. For the king had made him, for the king had made a, for the king had met a genie and asked and asked. For the king had made a genie and asked the genie to make him as common as they come. His second wish to be able to see the threads that bind people together. The genie had plucked. The genie had played a trick on him and made unable and made him unable to see who he was connected to, but he was able to see who was connected to him. The king in hiding the, the king in hiding in hiding the king in hiding did not tell Melissa this, but her thread was the strongest of them all. Even after the king went blind, the thread were still there. As for the third wish, that is still undecided. Even after the king went blind, the dreads were the thing that made. Even after the king went blind, the dreads were the thing that made him be able to see. As for the third wish, that is still undecided. Soon the king's secret was out, and Melissa knew of his true identity. She knew that there were going to be a lot of trouble to come, a lot of judging eyes that will not believe in her love that will judge her for being of poor wealth. This, to this avail, the king was sent far, far away to be in isolation, thus they lived separate lives, far away from one another, but they had ordered, but they had courted their love, they knew they were inseparable, so they sent letters that only took several hours to arrive, but had to be written in ink and paper and sent over a magical mailing system. 
As she started walking the market, people started trying to sell her stuff. Hey Melissa, got the freshest fish today, straight out of the sea, you won't want to miss this catch. They knew her by name, vendors of all shapes and colors and sizes. She only nodded and smiled. She wasn't there to shop. She passed through a smoke shop. The owner was selling pipes and other smoking paraphernalia. Purple smoke covered the room. The smell was funny. The man seemed the, sm the man seemed in a state of bliss. By smoking the herbs, he sold all of them. The man seemed in a state of bliss by smoking the herbs. He sold all types of herbs and flowers. Finally, she reached the vendor that she knew by heart. This woman asked Melissa to make deliveries for her. She would impact as much. She would pack as much as she could into a bag and go deliver whatever it was she was asked to deliver. It was a lot of legwork, but in return, the vendors would pay her in kind with food, sometimes money. It really all depended on how the vendor was feeling. The order was not that hard to complete, and most of the time it was just customers who would order something small that they were too busy to go and get themselves. This vendor specialized in magic science, so most of the people Melissa would deliver to were the types who would shut themselves in for days and sometimes would just miss a little bit of spice or a little bit of something that needed to complete their experiments. Lizard tails, a wombat's eyelash, a very detailed sketch of a long-forgotten fossilized plant, the shredded hair of a cat washed under moonlight, a forgotten crab shell see a forgotten craft shell, sea urchin, spikes, some type of algae, night fox fire, among many other things. Despite her circumstances, she was a happy woman. She enjoyed living with it even she enjoyed living if it was this type of conditions. She enjoyed living even if it was this type of conditions. She didn't knew any better. Since she was little, she was casted out into poverty. Her mother and father had been cast out in the shadows. Into the shadows, she was born into darkness. Her mother had drowned in the river, and the roof over her head had been passed down to her father by her father after he died. Had been passed down to her father by his father after he died from exhaustion one winter during a cold desert night. Melissa was left alone, and she's been that way ever since she was a little girl. Her pregnancy was one not wanted. Her baby was a product of the king who had, for ten years, in a way, adopted her into his camp. Into his camp. The king saw that there the king saw what others didn't, and when he found out about the pregnancy, he had no choice but to promise her that he would return for her. In the event of my death, please make sure she's able to live a comfortable life. She had no other choice but to agree. When two people, regardless of sex, when two people, when two people, regardless of sex, marry, an item is presented to them, a lasso with a crystal dangling from the loop. One night, before everything went up in flames, the king came to her in secrecy under the cover of night, to her hometown, and gave her a lasso. She knew what it was almost instantly. When the two of them touched the crystal and said bonding words to each other, the ceremony was complete. No one else needed to know. 
Both of them would feel what the other feels. This was the pact of the lasso with the crystal. Two people share the ability to feel with the other. Two people share the ability to feel what the other is feeling, creating a bond between them. When they created this bond, the king finally saw. The red lasso from Melissa connects to him. A bond that linked them through magic for life. Melissa was more or less almost nine months into her pregnancy when she moved back to Espia. She wanted to know the sex of her baby, so she went to Igna, a local bunny witch doctor that helped those that could not help themselves. She lives close by to Melissa. She did an engrave on her and confirmed that it was, in fact, a boy. A spell that allowed a witch doctor to see inside the human body, placing a small rowent gen. Rowent gene ray. Producing a small rowent gene ray. Both the king and Melissa had always wanted a boy. Thoughts of being a bad mother showered her. Was she really ready to be a mother? Sometimes doubt came over her, but she had hoped that this baby would have a nice life, nicer than she had ever had. For she trusted that if the family of the king wouldn't take her in, at least they would take the bastard child of the king. Those were things she did not know, but she wished with all of her heart that they knew would come true. She walked the streets of the market. Several vendors hung thread sheets of fabric from above their entrance into their tiny one-room shops. They had logos and threads on them, each representing a different vision of the same thing, an eye. People from Espia believed that the third eye could see it all, open their minds and their souls. It was an entryway into the unknown. Some adorned it in different ways, but they all tried to pay tribute and respect to its belief. The tradition to hang an eye with embroidery fabric was one. As one would enter a shop, they would have to move aside the fabric. Some even went as far as to embroider the name of the shop in a nice design above the hanging eye. What's more, the eye used colors of purple, yellow, and black. This all came together to create a Roman street where the raw fish, crab, and shrimp from today's catch at the desert sea would be put on display for all to see. Albeit this catch might not be the greatest of them all, but still it was a good catch, if you knew which family to go to. Finally, she arrived at the store she was supposed to be, Moongrave, red above the dyed, lined clothes that draped the entrance. Melissa entered by pushing aside the drapes to let herself in. The inside of the shop was filled with a particular blue sea wallpaper, blue lines representing a deep blue sea. In Espia, people were still in love with the idea of a regular sea, despite doing all their fishing at the desert sea. But the wallpaper was damaged and broken now. The poorly lit shop was filled with dust and the walls were unclean from it, so it was hard to see at places. This particular vendor sold bottles with glittery spells. Most amateur spells made for kids and good, and good stuff. They could explode like fireworks and project fun images into the sky. It also sold basic potion magic based recipes. Mix bases together until you have a new thing altogether. Can't go wrong with mixing too many bases. In fact, in fact mix them all and see what you can come up with. The possibilities are endless. Melissa wasn't particularly good at potion magic, nor was she good at elementi magic. She knew a little bit of defending magic, enough to get out of the conflict. 
enough to get out of a conflict. She had learned it from the king. It wasn't that she didn't want to learn all those magics or wanted to try them all. She wanted to. She had always wanted to. It was just that she didn't have enough resources to pay anyone to teach her. She could not attend school. Her parents before the parting Her parents before the parting had teached her how to read and write, but reading runes was complicated and she knew very little about it. Looking around the shop, all the tiny things, she reached the counter where the old small lady sat behind. Her eyesight what her eyesight was failing her. Kima spoke Melissa, her voice young and soft. It's me, Mel she said. The shop atmosphere was heavy from the heat, but she knew Kima well. Melissa had worked for almost all her life. That is not for short That is for her short life outside of Espia. Oh, Mel, is that you, dear? asked the old shopkeeper. The old woman was tiny, petite even. Her hair was the her hair was the most intriguing part about her. Completely white and completely round. She kept it she kept it way by putting chopsticks and pins all around her. The shopkeeper's hair was so big that she could feed things inside of it, and she did. Some baby birds made their way inside of it. A race of birds unique to Glias called Umberbo nested inside her hair. They heard Melissa's voice and peeked out to see who it was. Several at once. They recognized Melissa and waved at her. Then dropped back down to her to, then dropped back down to their nests. Kima didn't mind that they lived there. Melissa waved back at the birds with a soft smile. It never got any less cute. There were hatchlings birds. They were hatchlings, but the birds could go up to five foot. These birds, however, did seem to want to grow up. These birds, however, didn't seem to want to grow up. They could choose not to grow up, but it was up to the bird. The birds were adorned with colored ribbons around their skin, Other has, others just colored black or white fur. Kima wore a red embroidery string around her hair. The rest of her body was petite, her face almost like a pushed plum. Kima's eyes were almost colored, were almost, Kima's eyes were almost closed but not quite. She wore big lenses that stood on her nose, a soft string wrapped around her ears. Her clothes are typical of someone who's proficient in potion magic. Once someone graduates a profici- once someone graduates from a proficiency, they get a sort of uniform. Each class has a di- each class has a different one, and it's not mandatory to wear it. But the armor uniforms show a sort of pride towards their studies. On her back, she had a red and blue robe that hung like a cape, but did not reach the floor. Instead, it ran around Kima's arms through a trash through a translucent breathable fabric that had gold lines from the shoulder to the wrist. Her torso done with a sort of green sailor inspired dress that drowned all the way to her legs. Hi Gran Gran, how are you doing today? said Melissa, closing in so that her words might reach her old deafening ears. Kima's eyes widened. They did every time she spoke to Mel, as if it as if it's the first time they were seeing each other. Mel! exclaimed Melissa without much fuss. Kima slowly walked up from her chair and started fumbling about on a couple of boxes and chests that were rummaged about next to her. Behind Kima through a sliding curtain was another room. 
where she hid her cauldron. She could mix potions in it, but this day she specialized more and more in raw material. She did have some pre-made stuff, but those she did have some pre-made stuff that was ready to use, but potions have an expiration date, sometimes lasting only hours, so it wasn't profitable. On a shelf on, a, on top of the cauldrons, she had a bunch of random stuff, papers that were stacked neatly and unneatly on one on top of the other, more boxes and chests, books for writing recipes, and notepads where she would write ideas to mix potions together. Kimla looked through Kima looked through a one chest. She didn't find what she was looking for. Then she looked through another chest. Melissa didn't know what she was looking for as she did not know the order that had come in that day. Finally, Kima found what she was looking for, a small brown bag and an envelope that was a little fat, probably some spices wrapped around a parchment paper. Then Kima came back to the chair. Mel, dear, deliver this to Megan. You know where she lives, right? Then some food inside... There's some food inside for you. Don't skip out on eating it. Thank you, Grandgram, and I won't, said Melissa. Take care now, said Kim, and handed the bag. Melissa had delivered to Megan many, many times. Megan lives only a couple of ways off. Now that she had the package, she headed on in the direction she needed to go. Going outside, Melissa passed through the market and headed through the city of Espia. She crossed the dry river and passed through the town. Buildings on the town were mostly brown in color. Sand and dust covered the streets. It came from the outlands. Cactuses adorned the streets. Some of them had blooming flowers and wooden doors to cover the houses. Some people tried their best to adorn the outside of their house. Wooden chime sticks sometimes wooden chiming wooden chime sticks sometimes made a al Sometimes made of aluminum or steel, and some houses adorned their outside with steel spinning wind chimes. They didn't make noise, but had a stone in the middle that could be enchanted with a port, with a protecting spell. They had a colorful rock in the middle, polished enough to look like a crystal. As the outside blades were spinning, and the sun of the moon, and the sun or the moon shined through the rocks, the spell was in effect. It wasn't so much for humans, but for evil spirits. Demons, alebrijes, yokai, or yin alike. Tricksters and those that wanted to cause harm to their own amusements. Houses had two or three floors and sometimes a balcony where the residents could enjoy a smoke or, and not disturb the ones below on the streets. Melissa passed through as such a residence. Mr. Nappin, a strange fellow really. As Melissa directed her eyes up towards the guy, she noticed that Nuppin was about to puff on his pipe. It extended almost far too long. He used a quick fire spell to wind the flower and pull smoke into his lungs. He wore a shirt that was way too skinny for his body. It was almost like a crop top. Mr. Nuppin tended to dress in the more feminine side, and more people and people still love him all the same. His peppy attitude was the cause. No one cared how he dressed, no one paid mind to it, but Nuppin found it easier to go about his day and live through his life, expressing himself through feminine clothes. This even extended to the armor, uniforms he wore to represent his proficiency. He exhaled and purple smoke came out of his mouth. Mr. Nuppin still asked to be referred as Mr. 
Nobin had been skinny all of his life, so in a way he didn't look bad per se. His pants were bleached white, they were now khaki brown from his adventures in the desert. He looked down and met eyes with Melissa. He waved at her and Melissa waved back with a smile. Where you headed, hon? Where you headed, honey? Where you headed, honey? He shouted from his balcony with enthusiasm in his voice. He called everyone honey or baby, even sweetie. He used pet names, not in a derogatory name, not in a derogatory way, not in a derogatory way, but in a familiar way, to close the gap between friends and family. No pen had no family outside of his friends. I'm on delivery, no now. Melissa used an affectionate nickname with him too. When's the baby due? He asked. Soon, a couple of days maybe, said Melissa, holding her belly. I'll throw a big party for you. I'll throw a big party for you. You just have to let the dust settle, he said. Not been true parties for everyone. Any excuse to throw a party for someone was a good excuse to throw a party. Even He even did them in the town square and invited everyone, and they all came. His parties were all the rage. Take care now, okay, said Nopin. I will, thanks for wearing, and you don't have to throw me anything, said Melissa, not throwing... Not trying to get out of it, but she was far too humble to accept such race. Nonsense! You're silly in your mind if you think I'm not gonna throw a party for that baby, Mr. Nuppin said with a dead-ass serious face. Nuppin waved a goodbye with a smile. Melissa did so too, and she broke eye contact and continued on her way, thinking how Nuppin was a little pushy, but in the best way. She passed through the town square. This was the most important part of the city, where foot and caravan traffic met alike. In the middle of the square, a fountain that sprawled several kilometers wide, with statues adorning the water, Lucerna and Tenebra in the middle. Here, Tenebra, the goddess of darkness, was adorned like a skull, while Lucerna was like a silked woman. Here they were portraying fighting. The first fight that took place where the world has where the world the first fight that took place where the world was born children went playing with the water fountains but the significance in the statues was no less important people were outside the coffee shops reading the news and some were just going about their daily lives trying to help those trying to make today's gold here shops were the most expensive in the town shops of embroidery and common material adorned the streets pets and mounts were also sold here at accelerating prices. A mount but here would could be sold bound almost instantly. A mount in the outlands could take years to become soul bound. The town square was no less than a square itself. It was the common place for everyone from this town to go. Even if you weren't gonna buy anything in the shops, you could still relax by a bench in the Cactuar Park. Great food, great drinks, expensive as hell. Melissa did not steal and did not feel envy for those that had more than her. Igna, Mel Ignas, Melissa's mentor of sorts, had thought her way. Had thought her the right way. Had even taken her into her wing and given her hope for living. She turned to the right and went to the small corner that adored the outside of the square. Houses crammed together into the ecosystems of the shops. She walked along the alleyway and found Megan's door. She knocked once. Megan opened the door, a tall woman with sand blood hair. She was too a potion expert. When she opened the door, Melissa managed to see just a bit inside. 
Potions stood on the shelves, and those shelves had books too, many books, too many to count. In the far right of the room was Megan's cauldron. She was synthesizing something right now, as blue smoke was coming out of it. Melissa, asked Megan, waking Melissa from her looking trance. Right, Megan, I bought your delivery, said Melissa, extending her arms. Megan jumped at Melissa's reactions. Oh, thank you, let me get some gold, said, Mel said Megan, disappearing inside of the house for a second. Melissa waited at the doorstep. She took another look inside. Megan had a desk at the other side of her room. She saw the beginnings of a kitchen and stairs that led into a second floor. Suddenly, Megan came back. Sorry, here you go, she said, extending her clothes. Extending her closed hand, gold coins dropped on Melissa's hand. She opened the gold coins. There were some extra in there, more than the delivery price. Uh, you counted wrong, said Melissa, extending the extra coins back towards Megan. I did not, Mel. That's your tip, said Megan. Oh, said Melissa, a little shocked. She retracted the extra coins back to her towards her heart. I, uh, thank you, said Melissa, a silence between the two of them. When's the baby due? said Megan, making small talk. It's bound to be just a couple of days, said Melissa. Megan looked inside the bag and took out something wrapped in foil. I think this is for you, said Melissa, said Megan. I think this is for you, said Megan, and handed it to Melissa. She picked inside bread with meat in between. I totally forgot. Thank you, said Melissa. Thank you for giving it back. I'll be needing it tonight, said Melissa, embarrassed but thankful. No problem. Well, I gotta go back to my work or else my potions will go bad. See you soon, okay, said Megan. Melissa waved goodbye and walked off. Behind her, she heard the roar lock. Behind her, she heard the, the door lock. Behind her, she heard the door lock. Melissa returned to Kima and gave her all the money. Kima insisted. Melissa took her tip. Why was she always so humble? Kima was about to close, so Melissa let her be and left off for the outside. The sun was already setting, tinting the streets with its orange glow. Days were short, and people stayed up for more than one day before they felt tired. It was just the natural way of things. The night market was already being set. Abundance of more curious items were setting up for the night. The night brought spectacle and show. Some were just getting started. To start up their to start up their world of glamour and illusion, it was all just for show. And the performances were just trying to get a laugh out of people and amuse them just a little. Melissa walked against the backdrop of people bustling and hustling about. She ate her bread slowly happily going on about her business, when suddenly a wet cold stream ran down her leg. Instantly, her heart dropped. The water ran into the sand, making it change color. People started noticing, yet no one was doing anything. There was no pain. She just felt the adrenaline come to her, and her face flushed white. She had to get home and call Ligna to help her. Melissa knew exactly what was happening. She started running as fast as she could down the river towards her home. Her stomach started to hurt. She grabbed into the wall, going down the stairs, into the farms and the suburbs. The river ended. She looked around, disoriented. She couldn't get enough air. More water was rushing down her legs. The street lamps started to flicker. Darkness was surrounding her. The flicker of blue touched against her skin. The final glow from the sun gave a dis the final glow from the sun gave a different tint to the shadows. They were starting to warp and make weird shapes. 
Melissa gasped for air more and more. Finally, she saw the bridge where most of the people were placed, placing their tents made of scraps and dust, her house no better made of sticks and stones. Melissa, half-eaten bread, fell from her hands. There was pain now. A couple more steps and she would be with Igna. Her wolf came to her. It didn't know what to do. It whined as she saw Melissa was in a lot of pain. She had to sit down and open her legs. She was about to have the baby right here in front of anyone. Go get Igna. Go get Igna. She pet the dog. It whined. Melissa placed her hand up to the wolf's head and a small spark came from her hand. The little magic she had was a special type of mind magic. She was able to place ideas or thoughts, small ones, into a person's brain or animal for that matter. The wolf stood up and started running towards Igna. Shortly afterwards, Igna arrived with the animal, the wolf dragging her by the clothes. All right, all right, said Igna to the wolf. Melissa looked sweaty and in horrible pain now. Her hair was wet. Goodness, what is going on? Asked Igna through foggy glasses. Can you move? Let's get some privacy, said Igna, and with how, and with however she could, grabbed onto Melissa. Melissa was much smaller. Was much. Melissa was. Melissa was much taller. Melissa was much taller than Igna. It was almost comical. They went a couple of steps and finally arrived at Melissa's house. The wolf entered with them and sat silently in the corner. Igna closed the door behind them. Igna managed to light a candle with matches. Then she put herbs in her pipe, which were in her handbag, and lit the damn thing. The smoke had healing properties, as well as meant to relax those who breathed secondhand. Igna wore the same outfit she had always wore. Her neck was adorned with skulls and bones. Igna's pants were adorned with several sacred patterns. She wore a soft she wore a soft black sweater over her shirt. Her eyes enormous and her nose as well. Her wrinkles showed her age, but she was such a small woman and always full of energy that she didn't really care. Melissa now could only moan. What what is it? asked Igna. I I can feel I can feel it, screamed Melissa. She was trying to keep her cool, and the smoke was certainly helpful, but there was still pain. Okay, 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 don't panic, said Igna. Breathe in, breathe out, she said, trying to get Melissa to calm down as much as she could, make the burning process as painless as possible. She was doing the best she could to do anyway. Igna was not a real witch doctor. She had never gotten her license, so her so she scheduled to so she secluded to a life of humble to help those that could not afford a real witch doctor. Those like Melissa that were cast out, never to be seen by anyone, or just a terrible luck with love. Oh, it's right there. The baby's right there, said Igna, a little too excited. I think it's time. Oh, the baby's right there. The baby's right there, said Igna, a little too excited. I think it's time to push, honey, said Igna. Melissa just screamed. The whole neighborhood heard. Everyone was wondering what was going on. Some kids started to peek through the window. Be gone, said Igna, raising her hands and building a sand wall with her elementi powers. She's an earth elementi. The chickens outside just flapped their wings like nothing was going on, and the wolf rested its head on Melissa's hands, trying to lick her wounds, but there was nothing to heal. 
I can see the head. It's coming. More and more, said Igna. She was excited. Then a scream so chilling came out of Melissa that people now did not want to know what was going to happen, out of fear of being murdered. Melissa was sweating and panting, so much pain. It was horrible, but she was enduring it through it. But she was enduring through it. Just one more. It's almost out. I swear, said Igna. Her hands were ready to grab the baby. Melissa screamed and panted and then just pushed. She really just pushed. The babies hurt so much, but she did it. Then it was over and the baby suddenly, now in Igna's hands. Melissa was just trying to catch her breath. I was right, said Igna, with a wry smile on her face. It's a boy, she said almost too happily. Melissa gave a smile, almost involuntarily. Maybe it was all the drugs in the air. A lot of emotions came over her, and she suddenly pushed her arms over her eyes. She started crying softly. Igna moved her head and... Igna moved her head and some leaves floated out of her bag and towards Melissa. Igna was carrying the newborn. Igna was carrying Igna was carrying the newborn, covering him in blankets as much as she could, trying to make him warm. Then the leaves acted like knives and with a quick blow cut the cord. Igna's look Igna looked back to Melissa. Oh no, baby, it's supposed to be a happy day, said Melissa. Said Igna, look, look at his face," said Igna, kneeling down to. Said Igna, kneeling down to next to Melissa. "What's his name?" asked Igna. Through sobs, Melissa found enough air and managed to say, "Rai, I want to name him Rai." Melissa's eyes were teary and watery. Igna sat at her side on the bed, holding the child with one hand. "I love that name for him. It suits him perfectly," said Igna. The well-advised protector. Igna almost said it with nostalgia. Melissa found some strength to sit up straight. Rai was still in Igna's hands. The boy looked peaceful. He hadn't cried, and he was going happily in Igna's arms. Hi, little one, said Melissa, speaking to the baby. Igna tried to pass the child to Melissa. Not yet, said Melissa, and rested herself against the corner. Do the epigraph. Right now, said Igna, but you need time with him. Right now, demanded Melissa. For mean, is it now? Igna caved to her demands. That's right. Igna drew the epigraph in the air above Rai's face, in his forehead. By the moon goddess of Glias, by Lucerna and Tenebra, a name D, Rai Formin of 1288. The epigraph went to the epigraph went into Raya's forehead, tracing like paper into his skin. Then it disappeared. It was now inside Raya. Come on, off with your mom, said Igna. She handed Raya over to Melissa. Melissa had Raya in her arms, cooing and rocking the baby boy, if only for a second, although peace seemed to last forever. Then the baby combusted into fire. But Melissa did not know what to do. Quickly, her clothes caught fire. Quickly, her clothes caught fire, and she herself did as well. Igna was just backing away. She couldn't touch the baby, not now. So she did what. So she did what any earth elementi would do in that situation. She pushed a bunch of sand and buried Melissa along with the baby, leaving only Melissa's head to be able to breathe. But that just made it worse. The fire burned inside. The fire burned inside the sand like a controlled fire. 
the baby cried loudly. What, what, what do I do? screamed Igna. I don't know what to do. She burned, roar, fire burned, roaring inside the tomb. Melissa pushed her hands out through the sand and threw the baby in the air. Igna cut the baby boy in a small patch of sand that made the shape of a grip, like a half-crescent moon. Run! Save yourself and my child! Melissa managed to say through the roaring flames, crackling into the walls, but Igna was not about to accept that. Dejo! She screamed, and the sound surrounding Melissa collected on Igna's palm. She then threw it again, trying to stop the fire. Trying to save her. It buried her, but the fires didn't stop. Igna had no other choice but to leave the house. The crib she had made in the air followed her outside. The baby cried even more and more loudly, as if it was aware of what it had done. Igna pulled him out of his crib, but he wouldn't stop. Igna was safe from the fire, and the house was far enough now far was far away enough now that it wouldn't burn nor affect the others. But still, what a terrible fate. Igna looked in awe. She couldn't look away from the flames. She couldn't believe what had happened. She was putting two and two together, thinking logically about what she had seen. The only conclusion she could come up with. Rai, involuntarily, started the fire. It's not that he wanted to, it's that he couldn't control it. What have you done? She looked at Rai, then at the fire. She was still in disbelief. She had tried to save Melissa, but her this week against fire. She hadn't been strong enough. The fire continued for several minutes, but someone called the Red Fire Force, and unlike their name, no one had elemental power of fire. As they saw the fire from afar, they arrived with a big red caravan and wore yellow outfits, some of them women, some of them men. The leader of the fire force looked at the river and passed above them through the bridge, clasped his hands together and said, The water from the river changed course and started to flow towards his hands. She expanded her hands at the giant floating ball of water, and it got bigger and bigger. Then the rest of the crew started connecting hoses, just putting them into the bowl of water. The rest of the team started chanting, Heave ho, they said in unison. They offered their support as they too found other sources of water. Then some of them clapped their hands to their mouth in a fist and poured water into the giant spell, the giant wall of water in the sky, water coming up from their fists. The ball was big enough now. It floated on its own. The leader, the leader moved the ball of water closer to the fire, just pushing it into the burning flames. The water hissed and quickly evaporated, but the sheer density of the ball of water was big enough that those of, than those of the flames. Of course, water beats fire. They succeeded in their doings and managed to win against the fire by encapsulating it inside the ball of water. The leader then let go of the spell by releasing his hands. The water just lost its form and rushed down into the fire. Then they, then their job was done and they left. The fire hadn't spread to any other house. Igna, still with Rai in her arms, was amazed by the sheer force of their elementary spells and how they worked as a team to put out the fire. Igna went inside the now burned house. Melissa's body was scarred beyond recognition, her skin black with rob with red blobs that look 
Her skin black with red blobs that looked somewhere between blisters and bloodied openings covered in charcoal. The sight was ungodly. Raya was still in her arms. Igna came close. Her tears weren't stopping. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. She's... I'm sorry, she said. She didn't know what to do or what else to say. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I tried to stop it, but... Then Igna looked at Melissa. Her eyes were closed, but it looked almost like she was smiling. A soft, peaceful smile. Then Igna did something no one should do. Then Igna did something that no one should do to the dead. She used the mind spell that connected Melissa to her. In her mind, Igna heard. But first, Igna placed Rai in an earth grip. Igna felt the last moments of Mel as she mind as her mind drifted back into the cosmos. Yet pain was undeniable. Sorrow floated through them. Igna couldn't stop crying. I want him to know. I want him to know who his father was. I don't want him to know who his mother was. Melissa's dying words came soft and carried with an easy wind. Melissa exhaled and gave out her last breath. Slowly, her skin started to materialize as gold, first from her feet, then her legs and thighs, her torso, her arms, and finally, her face. Mummified, trapped. Her soul was now ready to go towards Gaia, being carried by a vessel of gold. This was the natural law of the world. Every single living being, upon death, turns into a carcass of gold. Vrai, the well-advised protector. It really all started 477 years later. <laughs>